Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew 22. The um, Last week we looked at the royal invitation, and again, it's, it's kind of building up, isn't it? You hear that, you know, uh, in the media now, just this royal invitation just getting stronger and stronger. And you might think, and, and you might say, well, with what's going on around the world and around the Middle East as well, that that uh, drumbeat for the return of Jesus Christ is also getting stronger and stronger and louder and louder. We don't know the day or the hour, but we do know that Jesus has promised to return. And there is a huge wedding coming up, not just uh, this royal wedding of the uh, prince and, and Kate, but uh, the, the wedding supper of the lamb, and, and you are invited. I want you to know that again. I want to repeat it again and again and again. Like our brother Rao said, the main ministry of, of sharing the gospel that people would know Jesus Christ. And I want you to hear the, uh, the invitation again that there's a feast, there's a banquet, there's a celebration coming up, and, and he wants you to be there. And I would love for you to be there too. He's prepared everything for us. It's not like we have to do it. It's not like we have to pay, like we have to be perfect or anything, but just simply RSV and say, yes, yes, I receive we saw in the last uh, parable, the wedding banquet there, the, the uh, people that had excuses. They were too busy, their job, their business, their house, their car, their relationships, all these different things, excuses, excuses, excuses. And, and because of it, we miss out on a lot of things. We miss out in this life, but, but there are those, because of those excuses, miss out on the life to come as well. Let everyone you know. Find out about it, though. Let everyone you know. He says, invite anyone you can find. Anyone you can find. We also talked about the dress code. And, and you know, dress code is very important to us here. And, uh, but in heaven, there, there is a dress code there, but it's, it's, it's the garments of salvation. It's the robe of righteousness that we need to be clothed with Jesus Christ or, or we're not going to stay. We're not going to make it. It's not going to be a part of our, our eternity. But we'll be separated from Him for eternity. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Be reconciled to God. Today, uh, he kind of continues in, in, a, in a sense with some of these themes, but we're going to look actually at um, verses 23 to 33. We, we've already covered uh, verses 17 through uh, 22, uh, excuse me, uh, 15 through 22, uh, when we looked at uh, money and that kind of thing in chapter 17. I want to look at the marriage. He talks about this question and, and uh, really um, the, the theme that I think that I, I see here is, that, is, is this. Is this all there is? Is this all there is? Life after death. Jesus talks about resurrection. Life beyond the grave and heaven. And the, the, this book is full of uh, references to life beyond this life, which point to hope and a future. M my feeling is that if this is all there is, 
What hope is there? What future is there? But I love uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11 says, The Lord says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Plans to give you hope and a future. That's what he's always wanted to do. That's what he's always wanted for you and for me. There is, I believe, and we've been doing a lot of funerals lately, and it, it kind of comes up again and again in, in these times, that, that, that deep inside of us there's something that knows that there is more than just this life, than just, you know, paying the rent or the mortgage, than just, you know, fixing the car and going to work and getting up and the alarm clock. There's something more. There's got to be something more. There's something in us that knows that. And, and uh, Solomon talks about it in the book of Ecclesiastes. And he says these words. He said, he has made, that is, God has made everything beautiful in its time. And he says these words. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. He's set eternity in our hearts. There's something in us that knows because God has put that eternity in our hearts. He says, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. We don't understand it. We can't fathom it, but he's done something, and there's something inside of us. Martin Luther said these words back in the uh, 1400s and 1500s. Uh, I'm not sure when the quote is. He lived in the late 1400s to early 1500s. He said, in our sad condition, our only consolation is the expectancy of another life. He said, here below, all is incomprehensible. Has it changed much from the 1500s to today? And even, even when you think about the book of, of Ecclesiastes, one of the things he says is that, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. It's all the same. And, and uh, Solomon, he, in the book of Ecclesiastes, he, 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 he worked to find out what life was all about. And he tried everything, excess of every kind. And in the end, he, he says, you know, after all's been said and done, this is, what, this is what it all boils down to, fear God and keep His commandments. Have a relationship with the Almighty God and the expectancy of what comes, what comes after this life. Eternity. You ever sit and think about eternity? It's kind of beyond what our minds can handle. But again, God's put it in our hearts. But we just don't die, and that's it. There's been a lot of unusual books written, you know, about the light, you know, these near-death experiences and, and the light, you know, they see and that kind of thing. But let me read to you this study that was done by a, a cardiologist and, uh, who worked in an emergency room. Um, in the uh, University of Tennessee, um, it says that he says that uh, he was treating lots of cases that died and, and you know they were revived. He says it's now standard that those who have near-death experiences later speak of having experiences of light, lush, green meadows, rows of smiling relatives, and tremendous peace. We like to hear that, right? However, in his study, he also reported in his book called Beyond Death's Door, Dr. Rawlings obtained new information by interviewing patients immediately after resuscitation while they're still too shaken to deny where they've been. He said nearly 50% of the group of 300 interviewed reported lakes of fire and brimstone, devil-like figures, other sites hailing from the darkness of hell. 
He says they later changed their story because most people are simply ashamed to admit they have been to hell. They won't even admit to their families. And this is his conclusion. He says, just listening to these patients has changed my whole life. There's a life after death. And if I don't know where I'm going, it's not safe to die. If I don't know where I'm going, it's not safe to die. We need to know where we're going. And again, being clothed with Jesus Christ is what makes the difference. Let's look at verse 23. That same day, the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection, they came to Jesus with a question. And again, we have all these religious type people, religious leaders of all different kinds. They're coming to Jesus. They're, They're very jealous of him because the people were going and listening to him. They don't want him to speak. They want to get rid of him. We've seen that uh, in uh, previous parables as well. So they came to him with this question. And, and, you know, you have the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the Pharisees were very, very religious. And they were also very legalistic. And then you have the Sadducees who were more liberal. And they were more political, and, and uh, they denied almost everything. They denied angels, the existence of angels. They denied the existence of spirits. They denied resurrection, the resurrection. They denied eternity. They, they denied uh, miracles. They're more worldly. They had this more humanistic kind of um, understanding of life. They accepted only the five books of Moses, and even those they would pick and choose. And that's a very dangerous thing, but we'll talk about that in a minute, about God's Word. But, but for them, there was no resurrection. There was no hope beyond this life. This is all there is. And so that's probably one of the reasons why we see that, that they wanted those places of power, and the ruling power uh, in, the, in the Jewish religion at the time were mostly Sadducees. But again... No resurrection, no hope, no future. What, what kind of life is that? Someone has said, and I think rightly so, it's no wonder that they're called sad you sees, right? You've heard that before. So they came to him with a question, and someone said it's the Sadducees and their resurrection riddle, and this is what it is. They, they, they've got this riddle, riddle this uh, hypothetical question, <clears throat> that they bring to him, and, and it's very hypothetical, and they're really truly missing the point. They're missing the real point. They have this question, but as we'll see, it's, uh, they've got other, uh, other uh, motives. It's like I remember hearing about when I, when I first became a believer, you know, people would ask the question, how many angels can stand or dance on the head of a pin? You, you ever hear that question? Like, who cares? <laughs> And, 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 you know, it's really, they, they were actually on the point of a pin. Uh, I read this definition, scornful description of a, of a tedious concern with irrelevant details. An allusion to religious controversies in the Middle Ages. In fact, the medieval, medieval argument was over how many angels could stand on the point of a pin. And they were truly missing the point, right? Pun intended. Look at verse 24. Let's see what the question is. Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and have children for him. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died. 
And since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and third brother right on down to the seventh. Teacher, Moses told us. They could talk about Moses. Now this comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 25 in verses 5 through about verse 10. And, and it really, the, the purpose of this law was to carry on the brother's name, to carry on the brother's line. And the first child would carry the first husband's name, right? Okay, so this scenario, that's, this scenario they come up with, they're saying there's seven brothers, and this happens to the one, then the second, then the third, then the fourth, fifth. I mean, it's ridiculous. Could, you know, what are the chances of that really happening? They were trying to trap him, really, is what they were trying to do. And someone said they were trying to make the resurrection appear ridiculous, is what they were trying to do. Look at verse 27. It says, finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Well, it's already been established they didn't even believe in resurrection, so why would you ask a question like that? They didn't believe in resurrection. They didn't want to believe it. Again, they're trying to make it appear ridiculous. Whose wife will she be in heaven at the resurrection? Let's look at Jesus' answer because it's very important. Verse 29, Jesus replied, You are in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God. You are in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God. These two things. You are in error. You've gone off the rails. You've gone way out there. You're lost. You've lost the point. You've missed it all for those two reasons, he says to them. Number one, they don't know the Scriptures. Number two, they don't know the power of God. They should have known these things. Such an important thing about the Scripture, isn't it? Number one, the, the, the point he makes to them is you don't know the Scriptures. They should have known them, but again, they would pick and choose. Well, we, we don't hold to all that. We, we, we pick the law of Moses, but even that, they would say, well, this doesn't apply and that doesn't apply. you got people like Thomas Jefferson who pretty much had the same kind of an attitude toward the Bible, and he pretty much cut out everything that he didn't agree with. He cut out miraculous. He cut out things that were, again, he was pretty much like these Sadducees, he would cut out things that had anything to do with, with miraculous or, or the power of God. And, and, and uh, you know, what's left? What's left if you cut it all out? That, you know, there, uh, there wouldn't be much there if you cut God out of it because God is the God of the miraculous. God is the God of power. God is the God of, of life. And, and uh, he says, you are in error because you do not know the Scriptures. These spiritual leaders, again, the, the rulers, the chief priests were from the Sadducee, the sect of the Sadducees, and they didn't know the scriptures, Jesus said. What is wrong with you? Are there pastors? Are there priests? Are there people who are in charge of, of leading spiritually the people? Are there, are there leaders like that who do not know the scriptures? Sad to say, yes. There are some churches where the leaders are not even born again. They, and how could they understand the Scripture? And if you, if you don't know the Scripture, then it won't matter if you're born again or not. But, but if you do know the Scripture, you're going to know, I need to have a relationship with God. I need to be born again. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed Him, 
if you hold to my teaching or if you abide in my word, you really are my disciples, and then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. free. Exactly. I want you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, you are an error. You are an error because you do not know the scripture. And you do not know the power of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3 about God's word. Look at verse 14. Paul is speaking to Timothy. He says in verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Number one, salvation. The Scriptures bring us to salvation. And then he says in verse 16, All Scripture... All Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Without the Word of God, we have got nothing, and we need all those things. But he says that it's God-breathed. It's inspired by God. It's useful for all those things, teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Without God's Word, we have not much of a chance to do anything. We could do a whole study right here and right now, but we won't about the authority of God's Word, about the infallibility of God's Word, about the inerrancy of God's Word, of Scripture, that it is the very Word of God. And, and you can study it. You can get into that, and you, you can read about it, and you can see what uh, the powerful uh, uh, message and the truth of God's Word, that it is the very Word of God. George Whitfield, who was a, a preacher in the 1700s, uh, was here in America, uh, and he was a part of the Great Awakening here in America. But he said these words, he says, God has descended to become an author, and yet people will not read his writings. There are very few that ever give this book of God, the Grand Charter of Salvation, one fair reading through. This word of God, this book of God. Paul says in Romans that that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. How do we find out? How do we understand? God has put eternity in our hearts. How do we know that? By reading the scripture, the word of God. How do we know what that hope entails and what it means and and how we have a future in heaven with him in eternity if we know what the scripture says? We can't just go by what men think. But these words, inspired by God, God breathed, God used human authors, yes, but he spoke through them. As they were moved by the Holy Spirit, Peter tells us. I like what John says in 1 John 5. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. He's written these words for us so that we would know that we have eternal life. Those who believe in the name of the Son of God, apart from Him, we are lost. We are without hope. You say, well, those are all New Testament verses, and and these Sadducees, they didn't have the New Testament, but you can do a quick study and find out the Old Testament is also full of references to life 
after this life. Quoting just a few of them, Isaiah 26, he says in verse 19, But your dead will live, their bodies will rise. You who dwell in the dust, wake up and shout for joy. Your dew is like the dew of the morning. The earth will give birth to her dead. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the, of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Hosea said, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, is your destruction? Again, these verses that Paul was thinking of when he was speaking in 1 Corinthians 15. But one of my favorites, Job chapter 19, verse 25, says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed... Yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see Him with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me to stand before Him, as Paul said, face to face in 1 Corinthians 15. There is a life beyond this life, but, but if we don't know the truth of God's Word, if we're only fed the, the, the truths and the wisdom of, the, of this age and the philosophers of this age and what the world system has to offer, you can be sure that the enemy of our souls does not want us to ever read the Word of God, to ever read it even once through, as, as uh, Whitfield said. I don't care if you just took the book of John and read it over and over and you never read any other book. But if you stayed in the Word of God, God would powerfully, powerfully work in your life. You say, well, I, I don't understand the book of Leviticus. I can't read God's Word. Well, don't read the book of Leviticus. Read something you can understand. And don't tell me there isn't a book there that you don't understand. Read the book of Jonah. Read the book of of. of, uh, of Matthew, as we've been looking at for so many months. Number one, he says, you're in error because you do not know the Scriptures. Number two, you're in error because you do not know the power of God. You do not know the power of God. Again, these Sadducees and others have taken all the power away from God. God is not creator. God has not done anything in the world. It all just happened by chance, a little explosion, a little, um, you know, chemicals coming together, and this stuff all just kind of came about by itself. The power of God to raise the dead. He says, you don't know anything about it. How can you do what you're doing? How can you say what you're saying? How can you ask these ridiculous questions? You don't even have an idea. It says in Romans chapter 4 that Abraham is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. And they believed in Abraham, of course, being a part of uh, the first five books of Moses. Abraham believed, it says, in God, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. He gives life to the dead. This is what God does. This is what God can do in our lives. Paul says in, in Philippians, he says, I want to know Christ. And he, and he has this, this burning in his heart to know Christ better. But he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want to know. I want to know more. 
these Sadducees, their God was of their own making. Someone said this, they said, they said to God, if I can't imagine it, you can't do it. That's kind of limiting, isn't it? The Sadducees had brought God down to their level because they could not conceive of a resurrected life. They decided that God couldn't raise the dead. Well, if it's limited to just what you and I can think, oh, God help us there. We haven't got much hope. But again, as we read God's Word, we, we see that it's way beyond us, way beyond what we think, what, way beyond what we can touch, what we feel. If we just go by what I feel, what I think, what I hope, we, we don't have a lot of hope. But these words open up our hearts and lives to the truth. They were in error from not knowing the power of God. You look at cults, you look at all kinds of different things. Number two, these two things that they, that they, they find, they, they, they go away from the Word of God. And they go away from the power of God. You're in error because you don't know the Scriptures and you don't know the power of God. I want both in our lives, I want both in, in our fellowship here to know God's Word and to know Him and His powerful hand in, in our lives. It's not just a bunch of head knowledge, but it's truth and it's power and it's heart. So much going on even in the church today where, they, where they've just put the Word of God aside and they've, they're going into the ideas of man. Look at verse 30. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. He kind of gives them a little explanation, too, about, about heaven. And, and, and basically, we, we understand some things about heaven. And, he, and the Bible has given us, you know, some explanation. There'll be no tears, no pain, nor sorrow. We, we, we know these things from the book of Revelation. But here he tells us that it's not going to be the same as earth. And again, this is the problem. Is we, we want to project upon God what we think. We want to project upon heaven what we think it should be like. Well, I think it should be, you know, Rolls Royces and, and steak dinners every night. And this is what I think heaven should be like. And, and we've got this conception of what heaven should be like. But he says it's not going to be like what you think it's going to be like the way I have made it. So many things that will we recognize people there? Yes, I believe we will. But will it be just the same as here? You're going to be with your wife, your kids, and you're going to live in the house together and all this stuff. He says, no, it's not like that. It's way, way beyond that. And I don't think we could understand it if he tried to give us all the details right now anyways. 1 Corinthians 15 says we're going to have a new body, a spiritual body, a heavenly body. We're not going to have these same bodies. Thank God for that. Like arthritis. I'm amazed I can still play the piano, you know, sometimes. Arthritis. It's going to be so much better, but it's not going to be the same. And he says, your question, you are missing the point. The point is you need to be there. The point, in, the point is you don't even believe in it. The point is, you know, it's not going to be whose wife uh, you know, the, of these seven brothers, the point is you, you're messed up. That's the point. It's not just an extension of earth. It's different. Now, you know, will my wife be there? Yeah, she'll be there. Will my other wives be there? I don't know. Why do you laugh? 
you don't know me? You don't know where I was before I came here? I could have had five other wives. You don't know. But it's not going to be like that. It's going to be, it's going to be the glorious place where we exist and we worship and we have fellowship with Him. Let's turn to Philippians quickly. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control, will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like His glorious body. We're going to be like Him. We're going to be more like Him, you see. Now, I want you to notice there in that verse back in Matthew, he says that, that they will be like the, heaven, like the angels in heaven. It doesn't mean we're going to become angels, right? You understand the difference? And there's a lot of weird teaching in, in, in television programs, you know, that say, you know, well, when you die, you become an angel, and that's, you know, then you could be touched by an angel, and all you'd be touched in the head. But the point of the matter is, is what does the Bible say? We don't become angels, and you've heard that before, right? Oh, she's, you know, she's an angel up in heaven now watching over us. No, we don't become angels. We've become like them in the sense that we're spiritual beings. We're not limited to this world and this, this, uh, the, the limitations of this world. But Paul says there in Philippians, he's going to transform us so they will be like his glorious body. It's going to be more like him. Incredible. Let's turn back to Matthew it says there in uh, verse 31 and 32, to address their real problem, he says, but about the resurrection of the dead. Have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living you know, he got right to the point. He got to the real problem they had. And, and if we're listening, God will answer the real problems that we have, the real questions that we have, if we're listening. He says, but about the resurrection of the dead, this is where you're messed up. This is where you have a problem. You don't believe. You don't believe, number one, what the Bible, what the Scriptures say, and you don't believe that I have power to do it. But he says, have you not read what God said to you? That's an interesting thought when you, when you look at it. He says, he says there that, that God had said that to them. To who? The Sadducees. Now, these verses that he quotes here, though, were spoken originally to who? To Moses. Right. Spoken to Moses many, many years earlier. And now he's saying, you know, what about... Have you, have you not read what God has said to you in His Word? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. It's a living faith, and it's also a living Word. The book of Hebrews says the, that God's Word is living and active. And God's Word is not limited just to that one time, but God is speaking today. Just as He was speaking to uh, the Sadducees there, if they're willing to hear if they're willing to listen, and I truly believe that God speaks to you and to me today through His Word, today. 
And he answers our question. He addresses our problems. Notice there he says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. It's not, I was the God of Abraham. I was the God of Jacob. I was the God of, of Isaac. But what he's saying to these Sadducees is that these were still alive. They were alive. They had died. Yes, many, many years before they had died. But they were now alive. And he was their God. That death is not the end. There is life after death. Don't you understand that he's saying to these Sadducees? I wonder, and I, and I wrote this in my notes here, that, you know, that could we put our name in there? I am the God of, and put your name in there. I am the God of whatever your name is. Verse 33, when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. Why? Because, they were, because the, the, the questions of their hearts were being answered, not with these Sadducees, but the crowds. It says they were astonished. The normal people, the, the common man was listening and the spiritual re religious leaders were not. So life after death, resurrection, hope in a future, it's all found in this book. Search it out for yourself. Understand, I mean, with the computer nowadays, we can, we can find verses that we want to find. You don't even have to understand how to open a concordance. You can find the verses yourselves. You've got a computer now. Some of them in our phones, we can do that. I don't have one of those. I don't want one of those. <laughs> Eternal life. Let's close with uh, some verses I want to look at in, in the Gospel of John in the book of Acts. Let's go first to John. John chapter 3. And verse 36. <clears throat> very powerful verse and again uh, God's word is powerful verse 36 whoever believes in the son has eternal life but whoever rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on him turn with me to Acts the next book Acts 24 verse 15 Acts 24, 15. And Paul says, And I have the same hope in God as these men, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. It's not just those who believe will live forever. We will all live forever. But it depends on our faith in Jesus Christ, where we will live forever, you see. That's the difference. Acts uh, chapter 4, back in Acts chapter 4. Acts 4, verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, they came up to Peter and John. 
while they were speaking to the people. And this is obviously after uh, Jesus had been crucified and, and resurrected from the dead and risen into heaven. It says they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They were still upset about it. They still hadn't got it. They still weren't willing to understand and follow after Jesus Christ. Finally, let's close with John chapter 11, verse 25, some very familiar verses. John chapter 11, verse 25. You can't read these books. You can't read this book without being challenged about eternal life. John 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? That's the question for you and I today. Jesus himself is the resurrection and the life. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and And uh, we pray that you'd keep our minds sharp to understand your word, that we would not uh, be in error and and, uh, leave behind the truth, the truth of your word, and and, and go off into false doctrine and and error. We know that your word is, is true without error. And it's powerful. It's living and active. It, it can get right into the very hearts of us in, in, in dividing soul and spirit, bone and marrow, right in the very uh, core of our being. And that your word will not return void in our lives. We pray, God, that we could know your word, Lord. And, and forgive us for being um, so distracted by so many other things. We have our excuses why we don't simply understand and simply don't spend time in your word. God, uh, we pray you just open up your word to us. Speak to us, Lord, through it. Pray that also we'd know, we'd know you and, and the power of your resurrection, Lord Jesus Christ. We'd know you as Lord and Savior. We would believe in you and, and trust in you in this life, but also, even more importantly, in the life to come eternal life or eternal death, the choice that you've given to us. Do we believe you? Do we believe this, that you are the resurrection and life? Father, right here and now, this morning, Palm Sunday, we come and, and, and we just simply uh, lay our hearts before you, Lord. I pray for uh, hearts that, that uh, do not know you as the Lord and Savior of their lives, that today, right here, right now, you would simply open your heart and say yes to Jesus Christ. On this day, April 17, 2011, that you would give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Let's just take a moment and simply pray and say, Lord, I open my heart to you. I want to live with you in heaven forever and ever. I want eternal life, not eternal death. I know there's more, and and your word, this Bible, says that you are the way, the truth, and the life. So I open my heart to you this morning, here, today. 
Father, I thank you for each and every person here, Lord. You know each and every one of us. You know our questions. Some of them are ridiculous, but you know them and you will answer them. And you will, uh, as we delight ourselves in you, you'll give us the desires of our hearts. We delight ourselves in you this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.